Hi everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. As we're forced to sit still, I want to travel through the stories of people in other places and explore how they're stepping out with a renewed sense of style. So this is Style Stories Stepping Out, a series which continues to share stories of creative people with a strong sense of style, but from places that we'd love to see and where we'd rather be. Today, I'm stepping out with Georgia McMillan, an Australian textile designer living in Dubai. While Georgia's roots in country Queensland remain proudly close to home, it's taken a move to the Middle East to see her step into her mother's footsteps and take her hand to art. Her career otherwise saw stints in news journalism and luxury PR, and while she maintains she doesn't have a mind for business, her curiosity, creativity and desire for a life well-travelled reflect heavily in her work. Whether she's dwelling in a desert, basking on a Greek island or touring the weaving villages of India, Georgia is able to find inspiration. However, the thread of home is always sewn elegantly into her style and her story. I hope you can sit back, relax and enjoy listening to Georgia's story. <laughs> Thank you for joining me tonight. <laughs> oh, man. Having me. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. Um, so Georgia, look, I know that you're um, an international woman who's travelled the world and, you know, that your travels um, have a great uh, influence and in- informed your work um, significantly, but you do come from Australia and um, I, as much as I want to get into your style influences, I do want to know where it all began for you. Um and my understanding is that you were born in Queensland. Is that correct? Yes, I'm a Queensland girl and I'm very oh. proud of it too. Um, <laughs> Queensland is in Dubai actually, so it's which, which makes it kind of fun. Um, yes, I grew up in the country and um, upon reflection, which I do a lot because, you know, when you have children of your own, you think about your childhood and perhaps what they're missing out on, but then I guess in return what they are experiencing that's very different to me. I grew up in the country in um, a beautiful part of the world in southeast Queensland and just outside Warwick. And um, I'm an only child. And right. every afternoon after school, you know, I'd saddle up my horse and I'd go and visit my grandfather who lived just across the way. And, you know, it was idyllic. It was so special. And we had a beautiful home and... I have very creative parents and my mother in particular has been a huge inspiration throughout my entire life. And, um, yeah. and I suppose she took the very bold move, which I would never do with my children because they have very little taste. But mum and dad were <laughs> in the late 80s and Laura Ashley was huge then, you know, this, is, this was yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And we went into the big city, you know, we went to Brisbane and she let me choose the fabric for my bedroom. Well, I mean, I remember mm-hmm. it to the day. It was such a moment. And I chose a blue room and blue chintz. So blue chintz um, drapes, the matching bedspread, the matching cushion covers. And I think I had a matching little um you know, a little sofa as well. And then there was a check thrown in as well, just to kind of soften the load. 
But looking back now, I mean, that was not my mum's taste, really. But she let me choose. And it was, I, you know, it was the bedroom of my dreams. So I suppose my love of interiors and fabrics and, um, you know, it, it all, it all, started there <laughs> many many years yeah. ago so what what if, if blue chintz wasn't your mother's taste what what was her style <laughs> oh um well look she has evolved too but um it was very we had a very we had a very formal room which was never used and it was beautiful um very classic and traditional style with um a little bit of a creative twist I suppose so she make I mean she creates beautiful things wherever she goes I'm gonna get emotional so I really miss her <laughs> I bet you do I bet you do yeah. oh my god is that terrible <laughs> um, well you, our mothers do you have a profound to grow up with that and to be exposed to beautiful antiques and things that I never broke and as a result with my house I have all the good bits out and I've never moved anything or, moved or put anything away or put a child safety corner on a table, nothing. <laughs> and nothing's ever been broken. The only person who breaks things is me around the house. It's got nothing. <laughs> so, well, you know, um, we've just come out of lockdown and I, I don't know how many things I might have broken through that period. I don't know what was going on, including oh, my ankle. <laughs> yeah, I broke my ankle in that time as well. You didn't leave the house. We were too much, too much trying to like do like our leisurely walk in the morning. And um, anyway, it's a it's a long story, and it's recovering now. But uh, there were there were quite a few broken plates and glasses. <laughs> I think maybe it was packing the dishwasher way too often. Packing <laughs> uh, dishwasher, I know. <laughs> so, so in, in terms of this, you know, beautiful home with um, antiques available to, for you to kind of absorb as a style. Um, were you like, you know, you're saying that you're living in a, in a small town, what, what you, I assume you're not on a farm, but what, what was kind of, what did that life oh. look like? Oh, you were on yes. a farm? Um, yeah. it was called Happening Depot. So there was another property and, um, all the sheep and cattle were brought into this particular farm where I, where my memories are to fatten them up because it was always green. Um, but then there was a drought and I often refer to myself as child of drought because, you know, I only remember our river flowing once and then the rest of the time it was drought, so, which was always quite sad. Um, but towards the end of the time when I was living there, we, you know, the sheep and cattle, that part of our life kind of stopped and mum and dad moved to um, the Sunshine Coast. So right. they've been there for about 25 years. So, but that, I think that country upbringing, which wasn't rural, rural, like so many of my friends who have, you know, live on enormous properties, um, it was, I, it was such an important time for me. And I was, it was a beautiful childhood. It really was so special. So, um, and I look at my children now who are growing up in a desert in the Middle yes. East. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're exploring the world and they travel to places that I never had even never heard of. And yeah. I mean, that is hilarious. It, you, you can only share what they say amongst expats because it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's very 
Christmas. Oh, I'm going here. I'm going here. And they just, you know, they throw out all these countries and yeah. you're eight and five and, you know, they probably have no idea it's up and down, but they're experiencing something that's quite unique. So, yes. And, and, yeah. and very different from your childhood, I, I, um, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I mean, we did pony, pony camp. I can see um, Katie Callishall's come on. We did pony camp on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so it was a very different, it was a very different upbringing. Um, but gosh, it was fun. You know, it was and, lovely. And tell, me, tell me what that kind of freedom and space meant. Like, how did that inform you Georgia as a as a creative person like as a little uh, child where did that did that space I'm sorry I'm interrupting um I, I guess I'm always quite creative and I had a mother who was always doing creative things and I had a father who took he was he has a great appreciation for art and beautiful things as well but I think growing up I never really considered that a creative career was something that I could pursue. It was, um, you know, going through school in the 80s and 90s, creativity wasn't celebrated, I suppose, like it is now perhaps. And I thought, no, no, I need, well, I need a serious career. You know, I can't, what on earth would I do? And I'm not, my mum is an amazing painter, as was my grandmother. They are so talented and technically talented i'm not you know i just throw some paint around and hope for the best and <laughs> i technical training that they perhaps had so i thought god well i'm like how am i creative like what do i what do i do with that so i think i kind of pushed it aside and thought well no i'm going to be i'll, I'll do journalism and i ended up doing journalism at university which i also loved but um, it's funny how the you know you do. I've done a bit of a full circle. You have <laughs> found a way to be creative without being technically you know a, a perfect painter or a perfect drawer. And, and so was there? Did you did you find that you know that that desire? Well, or that that desire to not go into a creative field. The the. Um, the thought that you needed to have a more uh, straight line career path, mm. was that um, also to do with, do you feel like you had a business mind or an entrepreneurial spirit that was driving that or? No, <laughs> no not at all. I mean, I, I no, um, I hate spreadsheets. I hate numbers. And I find the majority of my day is on a spreadsheet. I mean, this is the great irony of working um, for yourself and being accountable only to yourself. I have to be completely responsible for it all as well. (laughs) So, um, uh, no, I spend far too much time on a spreadsheet. I don't have a business mind at all. I never wrote a... Um, you know, business plan or all of those things that we're, I think, supposed to do. Maybe maybe it's a bit late now. Um, <laughs> I don't have a plan. I just kind of launched into something and it just, I loathe using the word organic, but it, it kind of then rolled along quite organically. And um, who knows, it might be, I might be doing something completely different in another year. But no, I am. Um, 
I don't think I have that entrepreneurial streak. You know, I'm not business. It's, it's not, it's definitely not my forte. No. (laughs) So then tell me about your, your time as a journalist, because I know you worked for channel seven and you're a news journalist. What, what was that experience like for you? Well, I think it's quite extraordinary. Of course, with journalism, you start from the bottom up and it's just bloody hard work, really, to get anywhere. And I worked my way up, you know, all of the Queensland newsrooms in Cairns, Townsville and Mackay and the Sunshine Coast. So I know a lot about cane farmers. I know a lot about crocodile attacks and um, a lot about coal mining. (laughs) Um, and, you know, I loved, loved, loved reporting on anything that was rural-based or about the farmers. And, um, you know, in the Mackay newsroom, I exclusively just did all the stories about the cane industry because I just loved meeting the farmers. And, I don't know, maybe I could talk the talk. I put my RMs on and off I went and kind of looked apart. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Was that your style at the time? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, yes. I, I still have my RM Williams boots, which I think are a good 20 years old. I love them. So, um, yes, no, I was a jeans and boots girl. So it was, look, it was pretty extraordinary. It was full on. I slept with a police scanner next to my bed. And if there was, no, you know, an accident in the middle of the night, I'd call the camera crew and off we'd go. It, it was it was hard work filing three stories a day for the six o'clock bulletin. So, um, and I think the stress got to me in the end. I just thought, I am not loving this anymore. You know, I, I was so ambitious and I was so proud of where I'd, where I'd got to in, in my journalism because I went to QUT, Queensland University of Technology, and out of the couple of hundred students, there are very few of us who actually got into broadcast news journalism. So I was really proud of that. Um, but I just don't think I had the drive in the end. You know, journalists are made... It's hard going, um, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I, I, I suppose, lost interest. So, and so I went <laughs> to the luxury PR after that, which was just polar opposite world so um yes I've had quite a I mean my career's kind of been all over the place so so I I imagine going into luxury PR you dusted off your RMs and um (laughs) (laughs) moved to I I assure you (laughs) uh so tell me about PR life for you what did were you still based Uh, in Queensland or did you move back down to Sydney then and I was so green, you know, I was so Queensland. I arrived wearing all of my colour and everyone was in black. And I remember going for an interview and somebody was looking at me and was like, well, you've kind of got the right look, but you'll need to turn down the colour. You know, this isn't Queensland. Okay, okay. Bought a new wardrobe that's all black and beige and tonal and no prints and <laughs> completely different. Um, it was amazing. I mean, I, I looked after Moet and Chandon and Don Perignon and Belvedere. I mean, what's and all these amazing chefs and restaurants in Sydney. So, but it was real baptism of fire because while I grew up in a, a beautiful home, I knew nothing about the luxury industry. And it's 
it was a steep learning curve. So, um, but I loved it. I embraced it and I lived, happily lived in the bubble that is luxury. I, I came to be familiar with you um, through the Grace Tale. So I think we probably, we had babies around the same, our first babies were probably around the yeah. same time because as the Grace Tales launched, I was obviously interested being a new mum. Um, yeah. And you, you were instrumental to the launch of that very successful website. Tell me what that experience was like for you and why it was important for you to do something like that at the time. Um, oh gosh, I think it's a new mother thing, isn't it? All of a sudden you're thrown into a job which you know nothing about and you're not trained for anything. And so, and it's then the, the shift of having to raise and not kill this child and responsible <laughs> for it so um I was very lucky I went to a mother's group which was awful but I met um the most divine Georgie Abay who is still a very dear friend of mine and she had her first daughter Arabella and I had my Olivia and I recognized Georgie because she was working at Harper's Bazaar prior to that and I met her and I was like and, you know, she's the only normal one. She carried a basket bag as her baby bag. And I liked it instantly because I thought, that's so cool. You don't need a baby bag. She had a, like a, a French market basket. Yeah. So cool. And we just looked at one another and we're like, get, get out of here. <laughs> and then uh, Georgie, you know, was toying with this amazing idea of the Grace Tales and developing a website for new mothers but wasn't that wasn't mumsy, you know, that was still stylish and kept us um, and then with, with a real focus on fashion and style and how to kind of do it all but not lose your marbles at the same time. You know, you, you'd obviously had this fabulous PR career and, you know, you're wearing chic black and high heels, <laughs> I imagine. <Black>. Yeah. <laughs> what, what happened... Um, what shifted for you as you became a mum in terms of your sense of self and your sense of style? I think the important thing for me was that I needed to find a vocation that would fit in with the child. So, yeah. which more nine to five, you know, definitely didn't mean an office job. That just wasn't feasible for me. Um, and I suppose that's when I started thinking outside the square of how I could do something that was creative because all I had, I had my daughter and I started doodling, doing these little drawings and things when she was sleeping. I thought, this is a bit fun, you know, and then I'd make these Easter cards for people and Christmas cards and the watercolours came out and I really got creative for the first time since school and it was just kind of doodling and and then we moved to Dubai where I then didn't have a job at all and my husband was off all the time and I was still finding my feet and that's when I really started painting and I guess it all just turned into a very random textiles career after that so yeah um, yeah so, so you kind of return returned to a creativity and kind of was adapting your lifestyle. But you, you mm. at the time you were working for, um, you know, a, a beautiful website that um, shows the 
I guess, uh, um, how you could live live your life as a mother with beauty surrounding you. Uh, mm. Did you find there was a pressure for you personally to kind of live up to an expectation of the perfect nursery and getting your body back and dressing chic as a mum? You know, like it, 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 obviously all those things that that the Grace Tales kind of. Uh, uh, illustrates in a lovely way in a way that still tells a story and and still um you can relate to but but did you find that there was a personal pressure especially having had a a PR background to kind of not at all I I honestly I really don't care what other people think you know um I just you know we I think it's important that we all live by our own code and I've and even during lockdown, I, I found that it didn't work wearing my house clothes every day. It just gave me no get up and go. So I, I always make an effort to get dressed, even if I'm not seeing anyone. Um, and I felt the same way when I was in, why would that change me? You know, being a new mother, nothing changed. Yeah. I still get dressed. So I wasn't all of a sudden going to dress in my tracksuit pants every day. Yeah. Um, no, I never felt pressure. No, but I can understand how some new mothers might. But I think um, as long as you stay true to yourself and you dress according to the style that works for you or that you feel comfortable wearing, then you, there shouldn't be that added pressure at all. Let's talk about your um, move to Dubai and mm-hmm. you call yourself a desert dweller. What does <laughs> that mean and, and what... what um, what does life in Dubai look like? Well, I know. Um, well, we are desert dwellers, you know. We, we are in the desert. And um, the extraordinary thing about Dubai is when we arrived, you um, the desert was very close. So, you know, you could literally drive for 15 minutes out of town and you'd be Lawrence of Arabia desert. Whereas now it just they just keep building, 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 building. And I, we haven't been to the desert for years just because I actually wouldn't really know how to get out there. But once upon a time it was, it was vast and open and accessible and we used to go out for and have um, bonfires and um, barbecues and, you know, it was so much fun. Everyone would get stuck in the sand and <laughs> need towing. Um, but what is life to buy? Like, I think it's very different to what people assume. Um, we don't do any of the things that everyone that you see on social media or what it is that you know about Dubai. It's just that's not our life. Um, we live in a villa surrounded by a gorgeous garden. We have chickens in our garden. Um, Clementine's gone missing because there is a rooster two doors down. And I think she's disappeared because she's looking for love. So we've lost right. one of the girls. Um, we brought over our dog, Freddie, who's 12. She came from Sydney with us and, you know, we have two rescue cats. So it's, it's a home. It's a very normal home. And all of my friends. With with chickens. With chickens. I know. I'm going to really miss that because in Sydney we have a semi, which is like half a house. (laughs) I love our home. It feels like, you know. It's normal. And as we've moved, I get wilder and wilder painting the walls. We don't have any white, white 
his house. <laughs> um, you know, we have a bright, gloss, blue living room, which I adore. Everything, everything's very colourful. So do you think that is partly because, um, you know, you are in Dubai where are things colourful and, and you're kind of taking on the way that they, the people there see the world? Absolutely. I think um, Dubai can be anything you want it to be. You know, you can get as dressed up during the day as you want or you can wear your active wear, which seems to be everywhere at the moment. Um, and at night it's so glamorous. You know, we get very dressed up and I love that about Dubai. You know, it's yeah. it, there is an elegance and a sophistication to it and people really take pride in how they look and what, what they wear and I think and do you that's, think that's because it's um it's an international city or do you think that that's part of it being part of the Middle East and that that's that's kind of part of the grandeur of Middle yes. East style the women are the most some of the most beautiful women I've ever seen and they have very their focus is on exquisite shoes and handbags and divine abayas. I mean, they have such fun with their their shayas, which is the, you know, the headscarf and their abaya, which is, you know, what they wear over their clothing. And there are some beautiful ones around. They're embroidered and they have sequins and then their shoes and their bags match and they have the most divine faces and jewellery. So we are, you know, we see we see that every day. <laughs> you know, they'll be at spinnies which is the supermarket with these high heels on. I enjoy the internationalism. I love the feeling of being part of something that's big and everyone's always going somewhere and travel is so accessible because we're a hop, skip and a jump away. You know, we're in the middle of the world. So yeah. it's hours to roam. Amazing. Six hours. Yeah. Just in- <laughs> so I, I think it's something I... There's so much about life here that I appreciate every single day and I think that's important to remember that <laughs> it takes the best part of 40 hours to get anywhere from Australia. Yeah. So um, now we, lo- we, we feel very fortunate. We love our life here. We love it. And as and a result, it's going to be very hard to move home. Do you find that you dress up more generally than you would back at home? If you if you're if the colour of your wall is is bright blue, you know. No, there's a lot of. Um, oh look, I think Dubai allows you to be anyone you want to be, and um, everyone kind of reinvents themselves a little bit here, or you become the person that perhaps you didn't know you were. And I I think I've gone back to my Queensland roots of loving colour. So that's. Which is which makes me laugh. Um, all the black, little black dresses don't really get a look in these days. But um, I, I think I'm sorry. I've completely lost my train of thought. I can't remember what I was saying. Um, I, I think I. Everyone dresses according to really how they feel. I mean, half the time it's just the school pickup which you're doing. So, but I still think it's important to get dressed and look. Yeah. You know, not be in your gym kit at, you know, three in the afternoon. Easy, isn't it? I, well, I know you're due to pick up your kids soon and you look very glamorous um, <laughs> <laughs> for that. Um, 
So tell me, you, Georgia, you know, when, when we were just preparing for our interview, you were telling me about some of the amazing kind of travel opportunities that you've had recently. And for everyone back home, you know, we're probably like drooling at the opportunity um, to, to travel. And I know it's it's starting to happen. Uh, uh, um, we've been, but, yeah. So, so tell me about some of those experiences. Um, I mean, the excitement of being able to travel again, it's just so exhilarating and so inspiring. We, um, we went to South Africa in December last year. Um, we actually consequently got COVID, but, um, so, but I just, it was the trip of a lifetime. You know, we'd been in this awful lockdown in Dubai last year and it was really scary. We, no one you know, everyone was just still learning about COVID then. I mean, we were so scared. I thought if we'd walk out our front gate, we were going to get it. You know, one person had to go to the supermarket once a week and we'd strip off our clothes at the front door and go upstairs and have a shower. We were washing all of our items that we bought from the supermarket. Like, it was really scary. There were drones mm. flying overhead at night disinfecting the streets. It was very... So it was, a, it was, it was a hard year last time. I mean, it was hard for everyone, wasn't it? But we... And we found it particularly challenging. And with life in the desert, generally everyone escapes over summer, which is June, July, when the temperature can be up to 50 degrees and just like a thousand percent humidity. So <laughs> no, you never stay. No one ever stays in Dubai over the summer. And we were all here and not seeing one another. And it's very isolating. And so we were going completely mad. So when this opportunity to South Africa to go to South Africa came up, we're like, well, let's just go. And I, I mean, we were thinking, we thought about the consequences, and we were very, very safe the whole time. But we hadn't been vaccinated by then. You know, we've been really lucky. We went to Lebanon for um, dear friends' wedding, which was just an extraordinary experience. Went for four days. Um, I, I won't say how long I was in Greece over summer for because <laughs> I don't really want to upset everyone. <laughs> Um, I, and, yes, I and think there'll to, be a lot of grace envy back here. <laughs> I know, I know. And it was at a time when Australia was in deep, dark lockdown. And, yeah. I mean, we just, I just felt a pang of guilt. But then people were saying, give us the photos. We're desperate for a holiday. Let us live vicariously. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> off we go. <laughs> um, as as no. did I, I. I live vicariously through your oh. Greece, uh, Greece holiday. It, it looks um, beautiful and amazing, and and you know it's the first place I I will be planning on going on my international yeah. travels. Well, that's wonderful because we picked really small small islands, and it just felt there was just that sense of freedom all of a sudden. We weren't wearing masks. Mm. We weren't really around many people. It was it was perfect. It was perfect COVID holiday. So yeah. whereas and was there now, a lot of excitement in in some of the places that you've been to? Was it was it palpable? Was it was, was palpable. It a different energy? Everyone was so happy. It was joyous, um, and especially the Greeks, which rely on tourism. And no one was there last summer, so that was a missed season for them. And for some of them, that's the only time they generate any income. So they were thrilled to see tourists, and it was wonderful to kind of be 
part of that without sounding contrived. But, you know, everywhere we went, everyone was just so happy and welcomed us with open arms as they did with our friends who were abroad over summer. So, uh, yeah, I feel really, really fortunate in that sense that we just, we had the opportunity to be vaccinated and everyone is here. They just are. So, and with that comes an amazing sense of freedom, I suppose. So, yeah, we're, we're lucky. We've been really lucky. And, well, we had it tough at the beginning, but it's been, it's been, yeah. Uh, so I know that your travels often inform your your work and, you know, as you said, you, you've gone full circle and gone back to art, you know, gone back to your kind of maternal history. Um, so... Tell me about your latest collection and whether that's been inspired by by your travels recently. This one, because we weren't travelling last year at the like at the beginning and we were in deep dark lockdown, I threw myself into history the history books and started really researching uh, textiles from 17th, 18th centuries and, you know, the, the textiles of the Silk Road, the textiles of, um, of that, um, that were huge in Europe at the time, the influence that the British then had on the Europeans. And I thought I really wanted to develop something that was really sophisticated with a contemporary edge to it so which would be then incorporating it with all of my crazy colors but the the designs themselves are very traditional and I'm so so excited about this collection I cannot tell you um so I'm I'm going to India next week and I'm going to be developing the colors with the dye master and Hopefully we can just get the ball rolling a bit, but um, I can't wait to see it. You know, I, I feel like I'm really proud of this collection before it's even before it's even happened. Um, and I think I've been designing it and thinking about it for so long. Um, perhaps I've got this overly inflated idea. <laughs> I mean, it might be terrible, but I um I really feel confident that this is this is going to be special. Anyway, look, I yeah. love it. Hopefully, someone else likes it. That's always. You know. <laughs> I, I'm sure they will. <laughs> um, um, it's nice to to hear that you're going to um integrate a bit of your Queensland colour, as you say, into the collection. Um, oh, do you think that, yeah. that that is the little part of Australia that you always bring to your work? Is it the colour? Do you know, I've never really thought about that. Um, I suppose so. I, I am trying to use, well, just kind of move away from blue. I get a bit stuck with blue. I just, I love that. <laughs> your original bedroom colour. Oh, the original bedroom, exactly. <laughs> Living room, which is just blue. Um, so that's why I went a bit wild in the dining room, which is where I'm sitting now. But um, I am exploring more of these colours, these ochres and the chartreuse and more of the dirtier colours, which doesn't sound very nice. But um, And then there'll be some fabulous greens and a really great, oh, I don't want to call it butter yellow because it's not butter yellow. Anyway, it's going to, the colours are going to be amazing. But um, in my mind they're amazing. We haven't started printing yet. But, uh, yes, I suppose it's a Queensland sensibility, isn't it, the colour? There certainly is a lot of colour coming out of Queensland at the moment. 
Um, I think I've always loved it. I, I think I've always been drawn to to beautiful colour. Um, and I think living in a part of the world where there is sunshine 365 days of the year, you feel like you're on a permanent holiday. So that might have something to do with it as well because obviously you dress more colourfully on holidays, don't you? So, um, I mean, all of my British friends and who live here, they just, you know, they love the sunshine, whereas we just take it for granted as Australians. I would like to I would like a miserable day. We, I miss that. But the British, yeah. they, and they're in town at the moment as well. And, I mean, this is, it's heaven. It's a beautiful time of year now. So yeah. um, 26 degrees at 6 a.m. this morning. I had a jumper on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It seems crazy to us right now. Um, I know. Having been in the Dubai heat, you know, I guess I guess we you, you acclimatise forty to forty is the new thirty, hey? That's, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, in in terms of your work, Georgia, how if you're inspired by certain things like historical references or, um, you know, uh, certain colours in a season for for your textiles. How does that reflect on yourself? Do you find that you start to echo that in your own style as well? Um, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think so. No. I um. I, I've certainly. Def- I've changed the way I dress. I. I. I'm more conscious of buying a lot. I mean, I don't shop the way I used to. And I, when I buy something, I really think about it and I think about where it's come from and, it's, and who it's been made by. And I think that's an important approach. And I think we all have that social responsibility, you know, to be a bit wiser about how we consume and what we consume um, as And as you shoppers. think that's a lesson that you've learnt because you're dealing with textile factories and you, you're kind of so much more hands-on with that process and you're, you, it's built your awareness. 100%. And waste is a really big thing of mine. You know, I, all of my fabric is made to order. I don't keep stock for that very reason. I don't want waste. And um, and I think that's, it. well, it works for me. You know, I don't think all of my wholesalers really like that approach, but I <laughs> do things um and I know with my clothing so for example you know the, I'm wearing this designer um De Castro Moda who is um she's a Colombian designer based in Jaipur and everything is all hand embroidered and you know there's yeah there's beauty to that and I I love wearing something that has, you know, the human touch, the human hand, and knowing that there is real craft involved in how something was made. Um, I'm as part of a fun collaboration. I'm working with this gorgeous girl Brioni, and she is behind Mundu Textiles, where it's hand loomed ikat, and which comes out of well around the region of Bangalore, and we are having. So much fun designing these this beautiful cotton ikat, which is then you know made by hand, and then making them into caftans. And we're also going to do ikat um, tablecloths and napkins, which I think will be next year. But they'll be amazing. <laughs> um, and just so gorgeous seeing something made from the beginning. You know the thread is dyed, and then yeah. it's 
on the loom. It's so the whole process is is by hand and visiting <laughs> the weaving villages um, out in outside Jaipur and watching all these rugs on the loom. And I mean, it's quite a rudimentary, primitive process which they've been and they've been doing it that way for hundreds of years. So I um and I think. I really, I loved that. I fell in love with that idea. And that's, I suppose, where the embroidered fabric, I have an embroidered um, tablecloth collection, which I love and adore. And, you know, there's, it's, it's not perfect because somebody has, has done it, you know, by hand. Yes. It's not, nothing, there's no machine. And even the linen that I use, there are imperfections in the linen which cause problems with some of my wholesales and I'm like look that's part of the charm you know yeah. of a that's made this way it has a story it's not being churned out through a machine this is the whole product has been uh, you know it's been created by a very clever artisan so yeah. um, I'm, I'm rambling <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of your home here what what mm. what is your plan what uh, um are you coming back to visit anytime soon or <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's obviously lots of people that love you on the chat that are desperate oh, to, to hear more from you. <laughs> I, gosh, I don't want to talk about it because I do get very emotional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward mm. to publishing this as a podcast episode and, you know, all the people that love you back here can, <laughs> yeah. everyone can hear a bit more about what you know just just touch base with 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 you and and just probably just get some joy of hearing your lovely voice georgia oh, um I, thank you <laughs> now i know you need to run and go to school pick up and i just pick up. thank you so <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me tonight and for persevering through the technical issues. But um, oh, it's been wonderful to connect with you. Um, and I'm oh. looking forward to seeing your new collection. If you'd like to experience a live recording of Style Stories, please join me for an evening of fashion history, vintage styling and a private shopping experience at King's Cross's favourite book and vintage store, Grand Days. In conjunction with the City of Sydney and the Happy Hours Festival, I'll be telling the stories that defined King's Cross's glittering mile through fashion and style and would love for you to join me. Event details and tickets available on the podcast show notes.